subscribe, stay up to date. The episodes drop the last Monday. It's a mind, it's a mind, forgot that. It's a mind, it's a mind, forgot that. It's a mind, it's a mind, forgot that. Welcome to the Matt Forgot That Podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before, but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions for the podcast, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, this week's movie features legendary actor Tom Hanks in a not-so-legendary role, but we'll get to that in a bit. The Nice Guy actor has been in the news recently. A video has made the rounds on social media circles featuring him and his wife Rita Wilson coming out of a restaurant surrounded by fans and paparazzi. One got a little overzealous and bumped Rita, almost knocking her to the ground. And Tom stopped in his tracks and told everyone to back the F off. My favorite part of the video, though, is the person who actually bumped into Rita started admonishing the crowd as if he had nothing to do with it. It's like, dude, you weren't paying attention. You totally knocked into her, and you ended up doing the impossible. You got Tom Hanks angry. I have to tell you, I like him a little more now. I was getting somewhat tired of his perpetual nice guy image. You see posts on social media with him crashing weddings, posing with the bride and groom. He'll take pictures of a random glove on the ground to see if he can find the owner. Overall, a good guy. But you know... I like seeing an edge on someone occasionally. He protected his wife, and no one had to be slapped. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie, Joe vs. the Volcano, from 1990. Now, before I go into this, if my voice sounds a little hoarse, it's because I'm a bit under the weather. I just have a nasty cough that has been irritating my throat. So apologies for the way I sound in this portion of the podcast. Hell, it might be an improvement. It was directed by John Patrick Shanley, who helmed Doubt and Wild Mountain Time. He also wrote the screenplay. In that role, he scribed Alive, Congo, and Doubt. He won a Best Writing Screenplay written directly for the Screen Oscar for Moonstruck, and nominated for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for Doubt. The cinematography was captured by Stephen Goldblatt, whose filmography includes The Cotton Club, The Pelican Brief, The Help, and his crowning achievement, Strip Tease. He was nominated for two Best Cinematography Oscars for The Prince of Tides and Batman Forever. It was edited by Richard Halsey, who worked on American Gigolo, Beaches, Sister Act, The Net, and won an Academy Award for Best Film Editing for Rocky. 
The score was composed by Georges Delarue, who wrote the music for Platoon, Twins, Beaches, and won an Academy Award for Best Music, Original Score for A Little Romance. The soundtrack featured songs by Elvis Presley, The Rascals, Ray Charles, and Tom Hanks. This is what I remember. It stars Tom Hanks as Joe Banks. He was well-established in his career at that point, having been in the television series Bosom Buddies and the movies Splash, Bachelor Party, The Money Pit, Dragnet, Big, and Turner and Hooch. He would go on to win back-to-back Academy Award for his performances in Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. The only other actor to accomplish this feat was Spencer Tracy for Captains Courageous and Boys Town. Meg Ryan plays three roles in the movie, Dee Dee, Angelica, and Patricia. She would co-star with Tom Hanks in two additional movies, Sleepless in Seattle in 1993, and You've Got Mail five years later. She started her career on the soap opera As the World Turns, before flying high in Top Gun, her breakthrough role. In the 80s and 90s, she established herself as America's sweetheart and was featured in high-profile films, though she did turn down lead roles in Ghost and Pretty Woman. Last thing I remember, there was definitely a volcano. Now I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. Joe Banks is a working-class man heading to his job at American Paniscope, a subsidiary of ACHI which produces a new generation of surgical tools at the facility in Long Island City. He's in charge of the advertising library supplying catalogs. He is constantly under the weather, taking time away from work to go to doctor's appointments, but none of them find anything wrong. His boss, Mr. Watori, portrayed by character actor Dan Hedea, was going to make him assistant manager, but is constantly dogging him about being incompetent and inflexible. He also complains about the amount of time Joe takes to go off to doctors. Speaking of, Joe visits Dr. Ellison, played by Robert Stack, to hear the results of recent tests. He gets diagnosed with brain cloud, a black fog of tissue right down the center of his brain, a rare disease that spreads at a regular rate and is very destructive. It's incurable. I guess you'd call it an unsolved mystery. (laughs) Joe won't feel any pain. His brain will simply fail, followed by his body. He has about six months to live and can expect to be in perfect health for four to five of those months. Dr. Ellis suggests he goes on vacation with the savings he has, but Joe responds that he spent all his money on doctors. Joe comes back to work and quits his job, having a renewed sense of vigor and a little depression. He tells the boss off and asks his co-worker, Dee Dee, out to dinner. They have a perfect date, and when things are starting to look up, Joe tells her of his condition. She can't handle the news and abruptly leaves. The next morning, Joe is visited by Samuel Harvey Granamore, acted by Lloyd Bridges. He's a friend of Dr. Ellison, who told him of the news. Apparently, doctor-patient privilege is off the table when you have six months to live. He owns a company that dominates the world market for superconductors, which runs on a mineral called Buburu that's found on an island in the South Pacific called Wapani Wu. There are a group of natives called the Wapanis who are cheerful people, but they have one fear, the volcano. They believe that an angry fire god who lives inside will sink the island unless once every hundred years he's appeased. Granamore offers Joe a trade. 
the Wapanis will be willing to give the material rights to him if he can find one person who's willing to sacrifice himself by jumping into the volcano. With all expenses paid, he wants Joe to be that man. Joe versus the Volcano is alright. Tom Hanks has made so many classic films that it seems subpar by those standards. The beginning of the film is a little downtrodden, which I suppose is a reflection on Joe's life at that point, but once he gets to the island, the movie picks up its pace. The humor in some places was so dry it could have been the Sahara, which I don't mind. Some lines were said so matter-of-factly that it made it funnier. Not surprisingly, the film hinges on the performance of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and they both deliver as expected. The rest of the cast was solid, either in supporting or cameo appearances. Abe Vigoda, Ozzie Davis, Nathan Lane, Carol Kane. It was produced by three familiar names, Spielberg, Kennedy, Marshall. Overall, it's fine. I don't think I'd go out of my way to watch it again, but I'm glad I got to revisit it. The runtime is 1 hour 42 minutes. It had a budget of $25 million and grossed $39.4 million at the box office. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. Somewhere around there. If you've seen Joe vs. the Volcano and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. I'm going to end each podcast with clips that you might have forgotten. It could be movie trailers, music videos, commercials, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Today I'm talking about Flight of the Navigator. During the 80s and 90s, the Walt Disney Company released a bunch of low-budget live-action movies, the most popular being the Mighty Ducks, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Air Bud franchises. But there was also Man at the House and Tom and Huck starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas, The Rocketeer directed by Joe Johnston, Homeward Bound featuring the voices of Michael J. Fox, Don Amici, and Sally Field, First Kid with Sinbad, and the perennial Halloween favorite, Hocus Pocus. Some were good, most were harmless. This falls into the latter. It's about a 12-year-old boy named David Freeman who gets knocked unconscious in the forest, and when he wakes, eight years have passed, though he hasn't aged one day. Dr. Lewis Faraday of NASA convinces David to come to their facility for 48 hours so they can examine him to determine how this happened. However, when they ask that David be retained longer so they can conduct more tests, he escapes and comes across a hangar that contains a UFO which crash-landed earlier. He ends up inside the spacecraft and leaves the facility. It starred Joey Kramer, who had a moment in Hollywood. He was in Runaway with Tom Selleck. Veronica Cartwright from Alien plays the boy's mother. This was an early role for Sarah Jessica Parker, who played nurse Carolyn McAdams. And Pee Wee Herman provides the voice of Max, the robot inside the UFO, though he's credited as Paul Maul. It was directed by Randall Kleiser, most famous for Grease, but he also helmed The Blue Lagoon, White Fang, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. He would re-team with Paul Rubens on Big Top Pee-wee. It's a decent film that I wish Disney would make more of. I would rather see low-budget live-action movies than a direct-to-video sequel to one of their classic animated films. I mean, did we really need Hunchback 2, Lady and the Tramp 2, Bambi 2, Cinderella 2? You seeing a pattern here? Apparently, a remake has been announced with Bryce Dallas Howard attached to direct. Looking forward to that one. I'm going to post the trailer and a couple of clips. They're all available in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. 
that's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions for the podcast, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for all the latest news and updates. And come back next time for the rewatch and the review. The score was composed by Georges Delarue, who wrote the music for Platin... Platinum? The cinematography was captured by Stephen Goldblatt, whose filmography includes The Country Club. The Country Club? That's a new one. If you enjoyed this episode of the Matt Forgot That podcast, make sure to subscribe to the Matt Watch That podcast for all the reviews, rants, and randomness.